Hi, and thank you for joining us here at Two Rogue Studios. My name is Ria Dark. This week, we learn to assume positive intent. Assuming positive intent is more than just taking everything with a grain of salt, letting things roll off your back, not letting things get to you, keeping your cool and other euphemisms for maintaining calm. It is about understanding that a threatening email, the coworker who didn't say hello, the friend who didn't invite you out to lunch, the message that was rude, is not because people don't like you or don't respect you or are out to get you, but instead it's all about the fact that, you know, if you assume positive intent, you imagine that the email was created under false or missing information. The coworker didn't say hello because they were lost in thought. Your friends didn't invite you out because they assumed you were busy. And that message, well, they were just trying to respond to you while juggling multiple demands and it came out wrong. And today's guest, Karen Dahl, will talk to us about how important it is for us to be in that position of not getting ourselves alarmed because she's going to talk to us about how that stress response is so very toxic to us. So try it. The next time something comes your way before the alarm bells set in, assume positive intent and see how your day changes dramatically, but most importantly, how your internal environment stays peaceful. Your experience of the world and the people around you will also become a place of positivity and joy. So try the virtuous path instead of the endless, vicious cycle of a hamster wheel that you're currently on. Today's quote before we meet today's guest, when you judge another, you do not define them, you define yourself. And that is a quote by Wayne Dyer. And Wayne Dyer is known as the father of motivation and is an internationally known author and speaker in the fields of self-development and spiritual growth. He will be greatly missed. Now, Dr. Karen Dahl is a licensed psychologist, professional coach, and the author of the book, Building Psychological Fitness, How High Performers Achieve with Ease. And she spent nearly 25 years partnering with industry-leading organizations and coaching high-achieving professionals. She's motivated by a desire to help people thrive, enhance well-being, and optimize leadership skills at every phase and she has remained committed to mental health awareness and advocacy. And of course, you know, over the past two years, obviously so very important. Welcome, Dr. Dahl. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and I'm enthralled by your intro. (laughs) Thank you. For our listeners here at PRX, one of the things that you work towards is helping people understand these afflictions of modern civilization because people may understand stress, but you know, it's a very real physiological reaction. Can you help people understand that when people hear fight, flight, and what maybe they can understand a little bit better what is actually happening? Right, absolutely. Well, and the your whole intro about assuming positive intent, the simplicity yet power of that message, I think is so relevant to today. So yes, the stress response cycle basically is 
a stressor that is incoming could be neutral. And for simultaneously, what happens is our minds and bodies try to make sense of it. So it could be a real or perceived threat. And so what can happen and what has happened for the last two years, uh, you know, we've, we've been kind of over-triggered. So we are facing so much uncertainty and uncertainty is a stressor. Change is a stressor that can often trigger this physiological response that is put into play before we even realize, is this a, a real threat or is this just a perceived threat? Yeah. And what is, am I having a right-sized response to this? Mm -hmm. And so what happens to our brains, right? So we might understand that maybe like, you know, I feel, you know, flustered and things of that nature, but what happens in the brain to people when they get into that space? Well, this, the simple version of what happens is, you know, it sets off a cascade of neurochemical responses and, you know, what we experience in our bodies is a physiological change. So maybe our heart rate goes up or we begin to, our face gets red or we're breathing differently and it triggers cortisol essentially, or the stress response, the stress hormones, which are great because it activates us to respond in the face of a stressor. Mm -hmm. And I think what the challenge has been for so many people is after we have a stress response and cortisol is in our body and we're equipped to respond, then what needs to happen is we need to go back to baseline mm -hmm. and we have to, our bodies and minds seek homeostasis. And when we don't have the opportunity to get back to homeostasis, in other words, rest, recover, replenish, and then find baseline again, that's when the effects, the longer term effects of chronic stress can take place and compromise us. Right, right. Because that long term exposure is, you know, really bad on so many levels and your immune system breaking down and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So for high achieving professionals who are under stress constantly, I mean, how can they figure out, is this a perceived risk? Is this an actual risk? How do you help them parse that? Oh, it's such a great question. And I think we can look at it from several different levels. And one is, you know, when we're triggered, being aware of what is going on in the moment and having a pause when we can. So if we are stepping out into the street and we're about to get hit by a bus, obviously we don't have a moment to say, is this a real or perceived threat? Right. And we're going to have a survival response that will jump back on the curve. But in daily life, what often happens is we exacerbate our stress or we can have anticipatory responses to stress or what we might call worry where, where we're unnecessarily triggering it. Mm -hmm. So I think that our work that we can do really is trying to reduce the impact of unnecessary mm. stress or really like reduce the level of unnecessary distress that we sometimes produce for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So a couple things, I mean, one is learning to calm your body and getting the below the neck interventions, you know, when we're, when we're upset or triggered, how can we restore, regulate, or cultivate calm? So breathing, meditating, all of the practices that we hear about, they actually do work to help regulate the nervous system. And the, you know, the cognitive reframing and thought-based interventions over time can work too to reframe our thinking. 
Uh, one of the examples, you know, we all have these thinking traps and cognitive distortions. And a common one that I hear is the perpetual thinking trap of feeling like I should be doing this or I should be doing more. I should have worked out this morning. I should reply to that email on Saturday morning. And if we double click and do a little deeper dive into, you know, what is that? And it's it often generates even more negativity or more negative emotion. But I will challenge people and myself. I mean, I'm alongside all of us doing this work mm. to say, like, is that a real expectation or is that a phantom expectation? Mm-hmm. So according to what? I should do that according to what? Right, right, right. The should, right? Where'd that yeah, come from? The, the guilt. Sometimes that can just generate unnecessary guilt and stress that is not needed. Right. But here's the thing, like, I know, and I know I speak for many people, you know, in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, yes, this is important. Yes, this is terrible. You know, how can I have the ability to, you know, have access to my cognition instead of getting into all of these cognitive distortions? Is there, is there like a, a method or is there something that I should put on my body or like something I should say to myself? How do I stop myself? Because I know I get irrational in those moments. Yeah, I mean, I think it takes practice, right? (laughs) And I think in the offline moments when we aren't actually triggered, doing that work is helpful because if we're generating, you know, what we call profile self-awareness, understanding what are the things that are commonly triggering me and what can I do and how can I reframe that offline? So the more awareness that we are producing for ourselves, then the more we're able to apply it in the moment. And that's really the long-term work. That's the long game of being able to apply it in the moment. And, you know, the story we tell ourselves about stress matters. So we all can continue to do that work of upgrading our relationship with stress and what we call that experience when we're activated. Is it if we tell ourselves I'm panicking, then we're telling our mind and body like panic this is a terrible situation. Or if we call it like, hey, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm excited about this. Is it panic or is it apprehension or nervousness or anticipation? So like even just with practice, the precision of what we call that physiological experience that we have, that matters, makes a difference. Yeah. You know, I never really thought about that. I'm always thinking about like, what can I do in that moment? But when you're not in that moment, doing that work to develop the awareness, to develop the emotional vocabulary, that's where you need to lay those foundations and like change where the baseline is so that when you do start to get to that place, like you said, you're able to notice it. And then I can name it something instead of things that don't serve me. That makes mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. And so is this something that people should do on a daily? Do they need a professional? Well, I mean, we all could use an extra bit of support in people in our corner. I think one really practical thing is just practicing elongating that pause. So one of um, you've probably heard of Viktor Frankl, who's a famous psychiatrist who survived the Holocaust and has impacted so many frameworks in the modern world of psychology. My favorite quote of his is after the stimulus and before the response, there is a pause. And in that pause lies our opportunity for 
freedom, happiness, you know, fill in the blank. We have we have the power to choose how we respond in the face of external stressors, no matter how severe they are. So even just creating more of that pause between a stressor, a circumstance, or something that's triggering us, and like waiting three seconds or five seconds, and just challenging ourselves, climbing down the ladder of assumptions, mm-hmm. which is another way of looking at assuming positive yeah. intent, and and challenging ourselves in that moment, like, wait a minute, is this a real threat? Am I overreacting? Is this me just doing this thing that I do? Mm-hmm. And even creating like a little bit of space there emotionally can help us more like right size our response more often. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so where can people go to get some of the work that you do with people to help them, you know, negotiate with these things with themselves, discover that pause? I know we're going to have the links to all of the things that you have in your LinkedIn and things like that. I mean, do you go into companies or do you just work with people on a one-on-one basis? Thank you for asking. So I really think now at this time, like the new frontier of mental health at work and mental health is really going to be all of us doing this work and understanding these practices together and accompanying each other. So my favorite intervention is just small group work where you can do it officially or not officially. I mean, a lot of this stuff in the research and the application is in my book, but I think it really comes alive when people are able to do it in community and with each other. So I do a lot of small groups looking at how can we build resilience and learn together because there's so much isolation and loneliness Mm -hmm. right now. People Mm -hmm. are needing to know that they're not the only one struggling with stress or burnout or mental health challenges. My website, drkarendahl.com. Yeah, Yeah, and I was going to say that we're also going to have links to the book, Building Psychological Fitness, How High Performers Achieve with Ease. We'll also have links to all of that. I want to ask you, too, about media and social media. I mean, obviously, we were all kind of you know, stuck on the ear of listening in because things were developing. We had no idea what was going on. And I think we're just kind of still stuck there. And it's this alarm, alarm, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. What do you tell people about media and social media consumption? Well, I think it's a super relevant topic. And if we look at the two vectors of what are the things that we can control, we can control how we manage our internal psychology and how we're dealing with our nervous system internally and our thinking traps internally. And then what are the external variables that we can control and how can we create conditions in our lives that are going to be conducive to mental health? So, as you mentioned, I mean, all of the media and the inputs and the completely overwhelming amount of information that people have access to, I think it's just like beyond what we're intended to handle. So, ideally, I think for mental health is we put some controls in place and some boundaries in place because it's just, it's too much. It's, it's overload And all of those breaking news signals that are triggering, triggering, triggering is it's exacerbating. I think it's elevating our kind of baseline level of stress. And I I think it's, yeah, it's doing damage. And I know there's a lot of positive that comes from social media as well. But it's what's happening is people are getting into the cycle 
with social media, for example, getting in the cycle of getting tapped into that feedback loop. Yeah. And there is something to that. Dopamine oversimplifies it, but there is something to that where we're getting hits and likes and that's telling our our psychology like, yes, I want more of that. Yeah. And that can be a dangerous cycle. Right. It becomes compulsive to many. And, and, the, and the more you do it, the more you keep getting involved in it. I know personally, I deleted like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, mm-hmm. um, you know, LinkedIn, YouTube, the Apple News app. I had to delete it from my phone. There was the only way I could guard my headspace. That was the only way. Well, and we're all at risk. Mm-hmm. Like we are all vulnerable to getting into that addictive cycle, mm-hmm. which is this is why this technology is a billion dollar industry. Right. Like, they're <laughs> onto something. <laughs> right. right. How do you keep yourself? How do you how do you limit yourself from those types of interactions? So I am on LinkedIn and I tend to kind of go in in spurts with it. And I'm not on Facebook very often. And I don't do Twitter. Mm-hmm. I don't do any of that. I'll, any of the others just because I think it's such a slippery slope. And the downside is my husband teases me and says that I live under a rock (laughs) and I don't get news fast enough. I didn't know about the Will Smith thing at the Academy Awards for like a week after. And he said, how can you not know that? (laughs) And how I learned about it was I saw it on a magazine and like at the grocery store or something. And so there is, I guess the downside is I don't hear stuff as quickly, but I don't need to know that right away. Right. I don't need to know that right now. So, I mean, I'm trying to be responsible at consuming and informing myself on important world events, but I don't want people invading my space on my phone and, you know, interrupting what I'm doing for something that's not relevant to me. And I'm glad because the work that you're doing is incredibly relevant. And I I share exactly what you were saying, that mental health providers are the new front line and that we do need to work together to help people um, because there's a lot of trauma that people are going to be processing now. And they definitely, we all need to work together to help people get through this. And I absolutely appreciate the fact that you're doing this work. And thank you for sharing it with our listeners here today. And to all our listeners out there on PRX and all of our PRX member stations, all of the links to everything that we've talked about here and all of the links to Karen Dahl's, Dr. Dahl's website and her book, all of that will be on our PRX.org page. Thank you so much, Dr. Dahl, for being here and thank you for the amazing work that you do. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for creating the channel and having the conversation. The more we can foster awareness on all of this, the better. We just have to keep making progress. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you. And I know it's going to be a lovely day. And now a word from our person on the street. My thoughts on positivity. I think staying positive is so important because so much of our reality is really our perception and our outlook and how we look at things. And it can honestly be really hard to, you know, stay positive with the state of the world and just, you know, sometimes your own personal life. But I think that keeping a positive mindset can really set the tone for everything else in your life. (laughs) 
that's all the time we have for today, folks. And thanks so much for joining us here at Two Rogue Studios. And a big thanks to our producer, the big Lebowski, Paige Lebowski. And you can find out more about her at her website, pagelebowski.com, or about all of us here at Team Two Rogues at tworogues.com. That's the number two and the word rogues.com. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks again for joining us. My name is Rhea Dark. <laughs>